I mean, I, I will say, I think the two pieces were very helpful. Um, oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like I got a lot of, if anybody, anybody listening, I won't tell you to read theory, but I'll tell you to read Jack's pieces. Absolutely. They're, they're quite brief as well. Absolutely. So, uh, no, no big uh, I think I explained myself better in the, in the, in the, um, the writing than I do in um, audio. So don't, don't be put off. <laughs> 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 I've never done this before. It's pretty fun. But, oh, really? Oh, yeah. nice. Nice. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, you know, Jack's definitely like a a very thoughtful guy, and you know, likes to know what he's gonna say before. He doesn't like to play around with words and all that, which you can tell by the writing, obviously. And like we were talking about the pod before we we did the pod, and we, I was just like warning him, like, yeah, you know, just so you know, like uh, some of the guys like say slurs or I don't know, you know, how you feel about that. Like I don't say all these things, you know what I mean? But Slav is, you know, unchecked, unhinged, just saying wild shit. Like he's saying all the slurs. Yes, yeah, could never, would never. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, like I would always, always get me with that because like it was kind, it's kind of strange my personal experience with with certain slurs like that. You know, like I was just sort of brought up to be like really nice to people, <laughs> and like I wasn't really brought up in any sheltered way at all. And all my circles are pretty like kind of rough by I don't know in, in Australian context. So yeah, everybody is constantly sort of like saying and doing pretty like you know not very polite things. Yeah, I'm just I'm a very polite person, so like I come across as sort of like conservative in a lot of ways. But yeah, it doesn't really bother me. Yeah, you ask me like what kind of slurs, and I'm like, oh well, sometimes like we'll say cunt or whatever. Like, is that that's not even a slur out here? Like in Australia, it's not a fucking slur. Like. <laughs> yeah, just call people sick cunts all the time. I'm at Slaboy T. Alright, this is uh, Shit Spouter 37. I'm Spicy Boy at He Who's Spicy. This is Black.com Pilled. This is the Fed Post. I saw trending Trump made some statement about considering pardoning Ed Snowden. Um, what? Which, yeah, okay. which in my mind, which in my mind is like absolutely like a, a oh, bourgeois. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just yeah, anyway. I, don't I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to do there because I think there'd be a lot of his voters, uh, supporters who, who wouldn't be a huge fan of that. Oh, well, I'll, say, I'll push back a little bit on that just because I um, think that uh, the, uh, the critical, his, his his being critical of you know like the bush family and 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 wars yeah. and all of that was a real plus and i mean i don't know maybe maybe the, uh, it's not quite as lumped in with or just this, think, or just paranoia of the deep state distrust of the deep state or just you know any of that like yeah. snowden is you know i'm not saying he's like a right-wing hero but i mean there is a libertarian bent to the right obviously and i don't think they fuck with i don't think they fuck with this nsa mass surveillance shit having their phones i don't think they fuck with that so, I mean, patriotism aside, like, I'm sure there's a bunch of, like, you know, oh, you know, the Pentagon was like, oh, this, we, we should kill this guy. He's a traitor or whatever. Like, I don't know if that rings off the same with, you know, regular, uh, like, lumping right-wing people. I don't know if they, they have the same argument as Pentagon officials. I don't know. I don't believe that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think all... it's there. It's sort of, it's a, one of those issues where I think in America, from what I can see, a lot of the time, patriotism and libertarianism can be mixed and fused. But in, in cases like this, this is one where it really sort of divides it straight down the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's fair. I, I'll, I'll answer. I mean, 
I'm look. I'm actually just looking at the trending topic right now. And you're right on the money about uh, mentioning the deep state. Um, I'm like looking at like a couple uh, senators well, um, patriotism making is- statements. Well, well, hold on. I'll just read. Uh, Rand Paul five hours ago. Um, uh, Snowden revealed the Trump haters Clapper and Comey, among others, were illegally spying on Americans. Mm-hmm. Clapper lied to Congress about it. Donald Trump should pardon Snowden. And then uh, Mike Codry, Cowdery, whatever, another Republican. Pardon Julian Assange and Snowden. Uh, here we go. The deep state establishment was spying That's on our citizens and doing on et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Right on the money. I mean, that's that's how you that's how you frame it, right? And then this is how they get to make political hay. Fuck, this is actually genius. I mean, this this is this is the this is the the uh, the right hook you respond to RussiaGate with going into uh, election season. I I feel yeah. like this this sounds to just like this sounds like right wing bitchgate to me. Like I don't really see what the play is because it seems like whoever that's playing to on the right is probably going to be more securely in Trump's side than not. I, oh, that's fair. Yeah, I'll get you there. Yeah, yeah like, sure. I, I mean, a, a lot of people who, um, yeah, I imagine the people who would be like, say, Biden, uh, sorry, um, yeah, is that how you phrase it? Like Biden Republicans? Republicans would go for Biden. Mm-hmm. I imagine they would be more, um, they'd be less sympathetic towards sort of QAnon deep state sort of yeah. stuff. They'd be, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'd be more yeah. neocon. He may be just trying to reaffirm his face. Yeah, I think it might also just be just adding uh, like a response to the arsenal it, right. when when someone goes like, Russiagate. you know, well, just like a boomer Republican dad being like, oh, you know, he's an authoritarian. He's a modern day fascist. Potentially. Right, right. And then you just go, well, you know, he did this and hell like, you know, dad, you might not res- you, you might not respect it, but you got to, mm-hmm. you know, understand that, you know, this is, you know, not the work of an authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it might just be something like that. It all depends on how much they emphasize this story. He's doing yeah. he's doing left wing shit. He pa- he passed the eviction freeze extension, the UI extension. He's mm-hmm. deferring the student loans. He, he cut prescription drug prices. He's doing left wing. He's 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 yeah, pre existing condition, right? And he's you know whatever the I don't want to get into the technocratic thing of AC or whatever, but like either way that this uh, Snowden thing, like he's he's doing the shit that we're supposed to be after. You know what I mean? Like right. Snowden should be fucking pardoned. Like he did a fucking good thing. He should be fucking pardoned. And I don't know if it's yeah. just a boutique PMZ thing. I mean, maybe it, you're, you're probably right. There's probably something to that. But at the end of the day, the, all these fucks, these deep state fucks, uh, you know, however you want to frame it, the you know, the NIC motherfuckers, they're all linked to like Bush and and Clinton people. They're all the neoliberal. They're right there. That's that's who they are. They're all with them, with the Biden coalition. Like that's them. They're all the same blob. You know what I mean? So like. Trump, you know, especially with the Obamagate shit, like him being tapped by them, like he's always framed himself as outside of that. This is this is perfectly in line with that. And reaffirming his base is is, uh, is, is very savvy right now. It's close to the election. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, I feel like it, I would need to see it be sustained a bit more before I put a ton of weight in it. Um, just because... What, what is sustained more? Like, like doing more of the left-wing good stuff. Like, I feel like he can provide relief but if things continue to stay chaotic it might be too far out from the election to actually do you know give him the boost he's looking for right and so you know in terms of it being a strategic play i i would assume there would just need to be more follow-up from that before it can really be like you know this is going to pay off in november and that's sort of why the snowden thing rubs me the wrong way in terms of like is you know like my understanding of trump the cycle around is that he's leaning into his advisors more than he should. And that was sort of, you know, but certainly what the right is saying. Yeah. Well, I, I've seen people on the left say it too, just in that, like they're, 
like from a strategic point, he's not playing to his strengths from uh, 2016, and he's, you know, they're predicting his loss. Like when I see people predicting a Joe Biden win, it's usually tied to that. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So that that's, I just think it would need to be a little bit more, and like a, a more left stuff would be good. Um, like more economic relief would be good. It's just how much is he actually going to do that? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think that like uh, you know, given what we had, um, we we had been you know talking and, and reading up about you know uh, the lump and prole and, and all of that, and you know to throw my hat in the ring of of uh, uh, one the, the the latest of many people to say um, uh, maybe condescending or negative things about the lump and proletariat, I. I I would think that as a voter base, which I mean, right there, maybe my my basic concept is flawed. But like as a voter base, the lumpen prole is a little bit more id to uh, to like the middle class's ego, uh, which is to say they're a little more they're a, well they're a force of reaction, right? So anything that's going to be done to influence them, um, votes, uh, to the extent that they do. I would think that you would want to uh, pander to the lumpen uh, closer to the election. And Mm -hmm. then right around now is more the time for battling for the middle class. Of course, we have like an electoral system that favors the middle class. So you always want to be doing that. Um, But but yeah, I, I would I would think it's safe to say that right now you're probably not doing much outreach to the guy that you know, is a fucking Uber driver because that guy is just, you know, living hand to mouth and well, I, you know, well, maybe, I, maybe he's, I, I, you what I'm saying? I, dis- I disagree because I mean, this, I don't think there's as much of a timing thing because again, like he's doing something and they've done nothing, right? They've, they've, they've given people absolutely nothing. They're on vacation. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. think the timing matters, especially if your rent was due, right? They're at the cliff basically, which is how they always do this shit. And your rent is due and your landlords are on your ass. I know people who are like getting who were pressured to get evicted months ago, like months ago yeah. already. Yeah. And, and well, let's say it like this two two. There's you in this in this year, you have two times where your landlord wants to evict you. You got the time that Trump just bailed you out. And then, you know, what if we get a repeat right ahead of election? Mm hmm. And then the Dems swing in, right? Then it comes down to the old, you know, yeah, you're helping me. But what have you what have you done for me lately? I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm. I'm going to go in the visceral direction and maybe go for the guy who helped me more recently. I so, don't know. I mean, he, he, it is for indefinite. That's what the executive order was an indefinite amount of time. Right. So, I mean, I know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that this will be the situation. I'm just trying to make a point, which is just that like, perhaps this is a class that votes more viscerally. Uh, and so because of that, yeah, like just, <laughs> just doing it right at the last second is more uh, relevant and maybe they're not much of a consideration at the current I, moment. I think they're more linked than that. Like sort of the way I see the play is like not necessarily with the lump in reactionaries being the voting base you're trying to court, but if Trump is committed to a keep America great slogan, there being consistent riots and violence is not going to help sell that. And that's sort of where I think the, where Biden is pulling from Trump's previous support is among the demographic who is, you know, going to be predisposed to capital flight or is going to be sensitive to, you know, their security being threatened by rising violence. And so the play of providing support for that and, you know, preventing people from being evicted and from, you know, any sort of hordes taking to the street in the eyes of those voters is more where I see the play. Um, and and I think the the 
you know, the people who actually need the support, if they are going to vote Trump because of it, I would see that more as a bonus. But I, I, my conception is not that they're the most reliable, um, you know, demographic in this election. Again, I, th- I think I think this is the you know this is a thing about the lump in, in general, right? The, the whole, all right, so, you know, we always have this disagreement about how, sorry, about how useful the lump in is, right? As, as like for electoral or political purposes, right? They have little political efficacy, whatever, et cetera. Like, sure, the, the, the sphere of politics that goes on in the electoral sphere that who are participating are usually these people who are not lumping, right? That's who are most actively going, right? That's how it's been historically. But I think, and this is something that, you know, the left has tried to talk about a lot is like getting in new people who don't, normally participate a political checked out people a whole fucking huge pool of people if 50 percent of the voting age population don't vote it's a fuck ton mm-hmm. of people and trump has pulled in a lot of those people and he's you know this is this is the thing is like as much as we can like you know pick them apart and be like oh well they're not going to show or they're not paying attention whatever whatever if he's still getting to them and he's pulling them in they're not going to show up in the traditional models you have for how elections run right because mm-hmm. there's no factoring them in they're not showing up and polling data they don't show up, right? He's he's up, he's down ten percent the day, the morning of the election, right? And he and he wins. So they don't show up traditionally in these old models. So you know, I, I think I think there's just a lib uh, uh, framing of this where like they get dismissed or like they're they're like not a factor or whatever. I think they are. I think he made them a factor. I think they're always a factor if you tap into them. And he's again, he's actually improving their condition. Things are urgent right now. They're not urgent for us, but things are urgent for a fuck ton of people. And they're not going to, uh, you know. It's something that it, they can tangibly get. And I think they'll be aware of it through November. And the Dems aren't going to do shit. They're not doing shit. Trust me. They're not doing anything for anybody except for some speeches, like some AOC bitch gate speeches. Like, that's what's going on on the left. Well, I think it's like always uh, sort of troubled me and like made my analysis of American politics a little, I think, not as good. Is that I haven't really got used to. Um, uh, like, like the basically, you don't have to vote. Like that, that whole thing, like the optional voting. I think that's uh, just really, it's really strange to me. And like, oh, is it mandatory in, in Australia? Yeah, it's mandatory. Gotcha. But like, if, if if you don't vote, like they give you a fine, and, they, if, and if you if you keep going, they'll take away your driver's license. So you oh, can, you know, okay. You can just donkey vote if you want, but yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, how, how do you but, think that um, plays into? Well, it, I think in one sense, I think it's like. Um, pretty important then um sorry um do, do i reverb if i take my headphones out no you're no you good pretty un- uninterrupted good quality uh, awesome yeah no so i think it can be uh not sure whether it's overstated or understated because once like in australia you have a thing where like a lot of these people that you're talking about in america that simply don't participate in electoral politics like they do here and it's not as if we had a we, we were living in sort of very radical place you know that's one thing i'd hand out um, I mean, basically, they can get integrated into sort of capitalist electoral politics as uh, more easily than I think a lot of people, especially on like the DSA left, for instance, might suggest so. Like, mm. I, I feel like a lot of them are sort of putting this great hope in all these poor people like uh, that'll turn out to the polls and just elect socialists. Yeah. But um, it's, right. it might not necessarily happen, right? Might oh, not wait, do that. Like, the the, the two party system will just shift to ac- to accommodate those poor people, yeah. and there'll be a little bit of a fuss, and then it'll be um you know business as usual, like it sort of is in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think as far as electoralism goes, uh, I don't know if there's really going to be a good shot for 
care going forward just to get new people. And I, I think it's going to be just a steady drop off from here on out. I'm not positive on that, but I think people as a as a whole uh, are becoming a little bit more just kind of like black pilled on electoralism in general. At least people like that are your like liberals on the left, especially after like that Hillary loss, etc. People who may be like more liberal leaning, but slightly still a political uh, may just take kind of take a step back. And I think the same thing goes maybe not so much for people on the right, because maybe they're like, oh, yeah, Trump getting in office. It's like, no, you're right. You're right. There's still some some hope in it. It's but there even too, some yeah. conservative that are less radical or less like less on the right and more liberal based like neocons. They're also getting somewhat black hills in the system, too, because they're realizing, well, fuck, like, the guy who represents like the Republican Party is still getting in under the Republican Party ticket. So they maybe lose a little bit of faith in the electoral. So I think maybe overall, like I, I don't want to say it's defunct trying to get people back uh, into the politics, into voting. Um, I just don't think that like trying to make a play as a Republican or Democratic Party for like specifically the Olympian pro it's going to work at all. I mean, mm-hmm. a poll, a political people, perhaps, but that's not necessarily Olympian pro. I mean, it depends on who you're, how you're categorizing the Olympian. So, like, sorry, go on. Uh, no, no, finish, finish that thought, and then. I was just thinking it kind of it depends on how you're categorizing the Lupin and uh, and a political people. So, like, CRK was talking about you know, getting a political people involved in the system. I think that's a whole different picture than getting strictly Olympian pro involved. Uh, oh, no. But also, it comes down to how you define it as well. Just something I'd like to get into here in a bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, we should we should uh, pick Jack's brain about that uh, regarding his yeah. his articles. Um, so what do you, what do you make of that? Because I view the lumpen as as very apolitical. So how how do you do you, do you view like do you have like a profile in your in your mind of of that? Uh, well, the sort of when I was like, I mean, my essays or the essays, fuck, I'm so pretentious. The articles <laughs> that I did, like they're, they're um I don't know, they're just I was sort of trying to reason and almost think aloud on paper, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I wouldn't necessarily like say that they're like high political theory shit they're just sort of um trying to make my thoughts more coherent but do, you think, sort of came- um, do you think you could explain briefly like a summary of the analysis just for anybody who hasn't yeah. read yeah. it yeah 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 good idea yeah, definitely definitely could um where i'm at at the moment with it is um i sort of felt that like the common position you could come on with lump and proletariat is that there are the bottom say the social sort of class uh, system and importantly they have an irregular that's a vague term, I know, but an irregular um, relationship to like the means of production. Mm-hmm. Right, you know what I mean? So like they're not um, when they are involved with. And I think when Marx is writing about this, he, he, write, he describes it and writes about it best in like Capital, which is sort of towards the end of his work. And he um, his take on the life and proletariat there is, I think, a lot makes a lot more sense and is a lot more um, reasonable and uh, sort of. Uh, integrates the lump and proletariat into the proletariat and like says that this is like and sort of almost speaks about them as a section of the working class that is sort of falling in and out of the mm-hmm. productive economy mm-hmm. and because of it because of this uh so and, and on the edges of society and of the economy so like maybe they're involved in um uh sort of more illegal or unsavory sort of economic activities or maybe they're involved in um just sort of really like occasional labor or maybe they're just big right and, it, and it's yeah, but this, but these, this sort of weird irregular relationship that they have to the economy gives them a sort of a special set of uh, of characteristics that are distinct from the rest of like the proletariat. That's that was my take I got so far from reading it, mm. and even contradictory within the Olympic proletariat as well, um, because as much as their um, you know proletariats that have been Olympic, there's also like you were saying that's kind of a mature take on it in capital, but in, 
Bengals talk about them as being, um, let's see, kind of like cast off uh, from all the other sections of classes, um, kind of like this mass that's uh, cast aside by every other class. So the Lincoln Pearl is also, you know, made up of multiple. Uh, made up of people who maybe had previous class relations that were different than they are uh, now yeah. as the Olympian mm-hmm. role and not always just working class as well. So that's kind of one of the big things that I think uh, leads to confusion as far as the synthesis and analyzing what exactly the role of the is and kind of how to yeah. play to them. Because um, it seems as though Marx and Engels themselves are quite confused as well. Um, and not only confused on it, but it seems that maybe they even wrote from a place of like animosity, maybe towards them, <laughs> uh, yeah. because of like seeing yeah, Jack like, the way that they had like been reactionary in the past, kind of like you were saying, <clears throat> like as uh, as the Lord, uh, what are they called, the Lazarani, Lazarani, yeah. yeah. So kind of like that. So they kind of started from a place where they were already kind of dis- discarding uh, the role of the Lincoln Pearl, writing it maybe from a place of animosity where they didn't give even a good fully Marxist or historically material writings mm. Mm. yeah like I, I think there's that um in the earlier days i suppose and i suppose it is more around the 1840s when you know that big revolutionary wave is just starting and when it's sort of really actually happening that they're sort of that sort of take on the lumpen proletariat is a lot um it's a lot more like polemic you know what i mean like it's a lot more um it's a lot more uh politically charged I don't know. Sure. That's probably the wrong way to put it, but like, I don't know another way to say polemic and polemic kind of sort of sounds a bit wanky, but you know what I mean. I hope um, <laughs> it's very yeah. much so in the material circumstances that they're in at that time. Kind of looking at it from the way that Lincoln functionally acted in their own revolutionary moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was sort of very much in the 1840s, really engrossed in that big revolutionary movement that was, uh, you know, fusing. I suppose it was. Some people call it a red republicanism. It fused sort of liberal middle class aims with uh, working class socialist aims against the sort of uh, the monarchies and feudalism. And um, in that sort of struggle, they w- they saw, um, let's say, two, two primarily lumpen forces really uh, go against them and really politically act in a reactionary way. And I think that definitely informed their writing. In, in the later period, like, when's Capital written? Is it like in the 1880s? Yeah, Capital's like 1870, late, late 70s. Yeah, something like that. But um, when, when we, given, like, once once Marx is writing, say, in the 18th, you know, in, in the later 19th century, um, you see a lot of that come away. Like, when Marx and Engels describe the Lumpen proletariat in the 1840s, they use all these sort of very emotive language, and, um, saying that they're basically they're just scum. And they're almost getting... <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, what is the quote from, like, Angles? And he's like, uh, um, absolutely venal and tr- brazen crew, these gutter proletarians and shit like that. Mm. And, like, right. but they, they seem to be united in this um, view of the Lumpen proletariat as, like, as you, as, um, as you were saying before, like, coming from all different classes, just basically the scum of all societies and reacting in a sort of chaotic, base, lowly reactionary way against good, honest sort of revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that evolves and becomes more materialist in, in uh, later writings. Yeah, it, 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 uh, Rebel had brought that up many times. He was the one who had the more of like a Gramscian form thinking. Uh, he brought that up a lot that like uh, they sort of had this, uh, you know, disdain and kind of looked down on the lumpen pole, especially because obviously they're not from that class. They're obviously of a higher class themselves. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely true. But um, I suppose and I, and I, and I would um, would have sort of emphasized that point more in the past, but. 
looking more at the history of it themselves, you can sort of see that it's not just sort of uh, classism. Or no, no, totally not. To- uh, totally not. It's like real, like, like, like Engels is writing for, I think it's um that newspaper that him and Marx had, like Neurheinische Zeitung, whatever it's called in German. And he's, um, he's, just, he's just really writing in a very sort of angry, sort of... Yeah. Um, intimate emotive way about how the Lazzaroni down in Naples have just you know butchered you know these revolutionaries mm-hmm. so like you can see it coming from that um that those they're they're trying to push this revolutionary movement forward in the you know the mid to late 1840s and they just the people who are fighting against them you know are these lump and proletariat a lot of the time and so that's why I think that animosity is there rather than just condescension or snobbery yeah does have a seed in I mean me right the implication is that they're that the lump of proletariat are actually more proletariat than not because there's a mm. there's a feeling of betrayal there yep well i was i was gonna say like i think uh from the impression i've gotten i'm you know so i think it's worth just pointing out i'm like very far from any anywhere near a marxist scholar but like the the impression oh, that no. i get is that there's like lump and proletariat in, ha- in just denoting people in extreme poverty, and then there's lump and proletariat within like the Marxist body of work that basically just that that like that that denotes um, it just it just basically everything that can't be like adequately explained by like the Marxist mm. the science of of it itself. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, and those are conflated a little bit. It can be sort of a catch-all category at times. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Another, when we're talking about, oh, yeah. go ahead. Uh, I was just going to add one more little category I see is people simply defining lump and proletariat as basically all people who don't realize their class interests. So mm-hmm. it's sort of a more cultural, ideological. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've seen that a lot. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I, I think that's a general uh, uh, lib uh, thing. I mean, even when I was a rad lib too. Well, neo-libs for sure. Uh, just saying like, oh, these dumb pro, you know, these dumb people, like they don't know what's in their best interest that's why they vote republican or that's why they're uh they don't believe what we believe they don't read the new york times etc like this because they're one they're stupid and two that they're they're, they're, they don't know what's good for them and as a radlib too i also had the same belief all these dumb bigots like they don't realize that uh you know their bigotry is actually going to lead to their downfall or just shit like that it's always it's always in that framing so this is very familiar to me yeah Yeah. go ahead you hear a lot of time people saying like you know, like, oh, these working class people, like, can't understand their own, like, even just proletariats, not even living pro, you'll hear people, like, in the PMC, and, like, people on Twitter, or whatever the fuck, that are kind of, like, making the discourse, will be like, oh, well, like, you know, like, working class people, like, they they might not understand that, like, right, these terms, right. like, they can't understand their own class interests and stuff, and it's like, working class people, as well as even living proles, because a bunch of them were previously working class people, have class instinct even if they don't have developed class consciousness absolutely so they still have Mm -hmm. that knowledge and so like the goal and the idea like people talk down to them and it's like that you don't need to talk down to them you should try instead to understand like okay maybe if you do think that they can't understand the concepts why is that and why are you not helping them to understand those concepts and bring them to your level and what the actual truth is is that these people can they just don't have the right information right so it's like you know even back in Lenin's time, you still have him like writing, um, you know, during what is to be done. He writes about like, you know, the people who are saying that, um, you know, the average worker, quote unquote, can't, um, you know, have a good conception of their own class interests. And that leads into saying proletariats don't have, uh, or not, sorry, limping proletariats don't have a good conception of class uh, interest either. But I think it's, there's an important distinction there that it's not they don't have a good conception of class interest or class instinct but they don't have a developed class consciousness mm-hmm. um so what 
should be done is there should be a left project, right? Or I mean, if you're on the right, whatever the right, whatever it is, a materialist project reaching out to the to try to get those average workers or whatever, or the limp who are seem to be despondent or lacking of any type of um, consciousness should be reaching out to educate those people and to try to bring them into yeah. an understanding of their shared material conditions in relation to yeah. uh, capital as yeah. proletariats. I definitely mm -hmm. relate to the sentiment of like, all oh, these people are just fucking morons and just, you know, they're just crabs in a barrel and it's, it's impossible to rework them. But, I, you know, and I, I feel like the, the left approach to the lump into to courting them, if there is any approach at all, usually it's just animosity and like all oh, the, the average person is a Nazi, uh, you know, rich Nazi. That's how they, that's how the left frames the average person and they hate them and there is no solution for them. Uh, you know, it's, it's inherently buried from the start. But even even for them, like if there is any attempt at outreach is usually uh, based on to get them to be as woke as them or to get them to read as much theory as they have. That's like the two avenues <laughs> I've seen. And both of those are fucking bullshit in my yeah, mind. Right. So, Absolutely. yeah. And I, again, I, you know, I, there's a lot of high minded, like materialist people on Twitter or like class reduction people like that. I respect like a lot of them have this approach of like, yo, we just need, you know, it's, it's hopeless because they'll never, you know, they'll never know the shit that I know or read the shit that I read. And say, so, yo, I don't think you really need to read shit to know your boss is fucking you or you need like a roof over your head. I don't really think you need to read shit to know that. I think that's a pretty mm -hmm. instinctual thing to understand. Yeah. And it's just a matter yeah. of who gets yeah. to their who gets to the co-optation first. Capital gets uh, there first. And and also just like the just the basic premise that like uh like the lumpen needs to be people in the system need to be educated by a higher class than yeah. them so that they can have the consciousness to process their own material interests. Is, um, yeah. Is yeah. Oh, the way the way I sort of uh, the idea that I started playing with sort of was at the end of the last uh, Lazzaroni article I put up is that um I think a lot of it is about what is like imagined to be possible at any point in time. Because there are plenty of people who who, who like you'll suggest something. You, you like you, often you like suggest a sort of a thing like a political uh, goal or a political project, and you'll get uh, people who aren't into it. They'll be like, yeah, that sounds real nice, but um, it's not possible, is it? And I think. A lot of uh, right. people who are on the sort of the bottom end of politics, or sorry, I shouldn't say politics, on the bottom end of the social spectrum on, on, of, uh, you know, the losing end of capitalism, they have a very pessimistic um, Absolutely. sort of understanding of what, what is possible, which is totally... Uh, um, which makes totally understandable, yeah. You might, even actually say, you might even actually say that they've got a more, re more realistic sense of what's mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. they have been poisoned by ideology yeah. in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, what your what your people who are saying oh they just need to read more um of my favorite uh, scholar so they're just trying to give a quick ideological solution to that a quick sort of idealistic solution if they have the right ideas then suddenly the you know the wool is going to get pulled, mm -hmm. uh, pulled from their eyes oh now I see it mm -hmm. you know, comrades let's rally to the barricades mm -hmm. which is a little bit silly in, in my point of view because they know like even without um because anyone can bloody see it that there's just not okay there's just no movement like political movement like that that's going to do anything you know right, right now mm -hmm. right and that's that's just a fact yes so like when i was looking at the lazaroni um and, um they sided with the king of, of, uh, of naples mm -hmm. the king of sicily it was because they had a very uh close and mutually beneficial relationship with the royal family yeah. and suddenly you had all these people turning up from you know from france and saying they wanted to change everything and they were like well 
I don't understand half of this fucking shit. All I know <laughs> is that me, mm. us and the king, we get on fine. He allows us to like be basically de facto police force. We get to do all our activities like smuggling. And what are you going to get? You're just some random French people and you're just going to like, and all of you fucking have glasses and just read literature. That's right, anything. right, so, right. We're just going to take you out in the street and hang out. Yeah. And um, finally, no... Garibaldi turns up in 1860 and he's got a whole revolutionary or liberal revolutionary, but still a revolutionary movement behind him. The lump and proles are like, in, in Naples, like, oh yeah, this is this is fucking sick. Cool. Mm, mm-hmm. So they, they I, abandoned the royal family. Mm, I wanted, gotcha. I wanted suddenly, to just... that, that, that sort of that future is very possible to them because it's happening everywhere. So, so throughout Italy. So, so just just to uh, clarify the point, like, wh- why was that latter movement more appealing than the the, the French one? It's just because there was something more uh, tangible to it that there's proof around the world for it at the time, or. Well, I suppose there might be like two or three reasons that I was thinking of. The first one is there was a, um, I mean, people like to say that nationalism got invented at like in like, you know, like in nineteen forty or some stupid number. I don't know. Mm-hmm. People like to think that nationalism is like a novel thing, and I, and I get that in a in sixteen nineteen. Seventeen eighty nine is another one they'll put up too. Yeah. The Korean Westphalia, like any people just put dates and it's like, <laughs> yeah. but basically there is sort of like a um in-group, out-group sentiment that's been there for a long time in lots of different places, right? Like, you can't deny that. And in in, um, in Sicily, there was a sort of a strong in-group, out-group uh, thing, uh, sentiment going on for a very long time. And that I think that might have informed uh, their feelings towards, say, the French, the, mm. the French revolutionary armies when they come in. As Sicily had had multiple uprisings against uh, foreign occupiers all throughout, like, the medieval and early modern period. Mm-hmm. And I have definitely a sense of... Uh, you know, of distinctness, if, even if you don't want to call that nationalism. So I think that's going to inform part of it. Gotcha, um, gotcha. And then towards the 1860s, pan-Italian nationalism starting to become more of a force and um, Sicilians can start to think of themselves maybe as more Italian. But, like, obviously I'm not, like, an Italian, like, fucking Italianologist or anything. So I don't, I don't, know, all, I don't know all the details here. I thought you were going to say, that was don't, don't worry, I'm not an Italian nationalist. I was like, all right, because you, sound, you, you sounded like one. I'm like, Jack, where, yeah, I, remember your team, bro. Crossing off my next topic. <laughs> Um, what do you think of Mussolini? Oh, yeah. It'll be made the trains run on top. Can I say a, a big thing? We're able to really kind of switch towards that more like liberal revolution and also previously sided with the king is because they never had any close contact with mm-hmm. uh, like the, the French revolutionaries weren't in their communities doing like they they had a beneficial relationship with the king, right? They didn't have any beneficial relationship with the French revolutionaries. They didn't know them. Mm-hmm. You know, some exactly. random dude off the street. So I started thinking about that as it kind of relates to current day, or at least more so modern, and trying to try to look for like examples of maybe like positive outreach programs into Lincoln Parole that could kind of give maybe some sort of model or just like inkling of hope as to like this is something that can work. Um, and if you look into like some of the stuff that the Black Panther Party was doing uh, in America as far as education campaigns, like. Uh, political education campaigns in local communities. So they would have like breakfast, uh, you know, campaigns for the mm-hmm. poor kids in the areas. Most of the time it would be, you know, like ghettos and like, you know, poor black areas. And these are people who are historically limpinized in the United States, um, born into a cycle of limp and proletariat life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and they never really are able to escape that, right? So they never have any experience. They're pure limpins, some of these people. They never have any working class experience. They're not casted out of some other class, et cetera. So they don't have any clear allegiances uh, they're just kind of you know what what is you know they know that they're being fucked by the current system of things and what is right here helping me right now um, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like limping 
in general. Um, so what the Black Panthers would do is they would do community outreach where they would go into and they would do daycares, they would do breakfast, uh, they would do uh, childcare and stuff for that population, uh, the more precarious, mm -hmm. like as mm -hmm. far as their well-being being more precarious and that type of stuff. So they made that relationship with the Lincoln Parole. And then they brought Lincoln Parole into their ranks and they raised them to some of the higher parts of their organization. For instance, like Malcolm X would be originally considered a Lincoln Parole because he was the released jailbird, right? And like Marx and Engels, the way that they would go through um, and they would categorized Lincoln Pearl originally would be like jailbirds, people who mm. recently have jail thieves, people who have irregular... Well, yeah, it worked on Malcolm X. So, real, I, I want to jump in. I really like the point on precarity, and I think it sort of gets to what I took away from the two pieces and sort of how I've been thinking about the Lumpen Proletariat. Because mm -hmm. um, I as well, like, I'm not well-versed in any of this, and my understanding was always that the Lumpen Proletariat was sort of uh, people who found the means to survive outside of the economic system and didn't really have a buy-in. And really what I took away from the articles as the sort of punctuating factor is precarity and that the lumpen proletariat are the most precarious and in that insecurity there are sort of codified forms of security within that insecurity and that's sort of what these like you know what brothels and what gangs represent is yeah, a right. means to survival that's outside of the system but is still formalized in a sense absolutely and so they're reactive in that the precarity of their position is their most is the most immediate concern and so when i think about why they'd be unreliable um one is that there are existing structures um that are not necessarily within capitalism but are with that are the space is made because of capitalism yep. that they would have an interest in defending and then as well because yes. precarity is the primary motivating factor they are easily bought off right Absolutely. and so scabs right and, yeah so uh, yeah i'll let you go well i'd say i'd say that's another reason why they're important to the working class movement um because they've been able to form those systems outside of the capitalist hegemony right they've been able to form those systems that aren't directly tied into the you know the capitalist mode of production so like even Lenin talks about this going into a little bit of theory um back in what is to be done he talks about how um you know the lumpen parole have been able to live outside of uh the current system and either illegal means or whatever they come in more close contact with police on a daily basis etc they know more about the quote mastery of these skills uh, which is the primary requirement of like revolutionary character, which is being outside of the and outside of the system. So a big thing in the Lumpen Pearl is the left has something to learn from the left as well, mm -hmm. not only just from incorporating them, but as well as bringing them in because, you know, they're yeah. the people who typically are going to be the first people out in the front line. Have some, have some application. Right. Like yeah. He was talking about how the protests in Portland uh, are kind of serving the Lumpen Pearl function of being that like armed band of reactionaries on the streets right they're typically the first people to kind of do that uh type of armed conflict with the state they're typically in skirmishes like that so what lenin argues and, yeah exactly yeah. lenin argues is that that in itself is not to be discarded or anything like that um like kind of like lenin and or not lenin sorry marx and Engels would say before, previously but he argues that in fact that's something that the only reason why that's detrimental is because there's not a strong organizational force directing that and controlling it mm -hmm. um so that it should be a main focus and goal to reach out to them, to incorporate them into the movement, to learn from them, uh, their their ways of operating outside of um, typical structure. Yeah, apply and practical kind application. Of use their spontaneous uprising. And, yeah, absolutely. Right. right. And, and this is, I mean, this is what I was kind of like trying to, what I was like getting at earlier, which is just that, like it, 
it does just seem like a, the science that is Marxism, the lumpen proletariat is just is just the category that is just like what cannot be properly explained by just like mm-hmm. labor workplace relations. Just mm. like like a labor based or or a Marxist analysis doesn't work for this one group that like they even put a name to, which I think is like a funny kind of like active hubris as opposed to just saying like our method has blind spots. And like with that, well, let me just finish my point, which is just that like what you're saying about the Black Panthers doing like community outreach or what uh, you, Jack, are saying about um, like nationalism and everything is exactly what I have in mind, which is just that like it becomes, it doesn't become, uh, I'm going to reach this political subject through uh, the opening of uh, their life as a worker, it, it, because because that's not relevant with this person. You just adopt mm. another approach, which is well, I'm because that is the body of politics. Is we start at the workplace out, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you just go, well, no, okay. So so what is some level of relation uh, that you have? Oh oh, it's the fact that you have a family, just like mm-hmm. everybody does, or a yeah. neighborhood, and you give a fuck about them. So, yeah. so like I'm going to come down and give you some support on on that level, like the Panthers, or is it? you're a part of this nation and this is you know uh obviously the more right-wing approach and i honestly think that this would be the one that i would prefer uh, but the nationalist approach of like this is the, the the great collective we all are a part of and you can't relate with me on um on labor dynamics at all uh but i'll, I'll get you this is the chink in the armor where i'll get you yeah uh, yeah 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 and, and, I, I do, and i do think it is just funny because like i i, I honestly just completely write off lump and prol as just like no, it's not. It's not a Marxist category. It's just like a, a funny name they came up with of just being like, <laughs> oh, no, there's just blind spots that like this method just doesn't adequately address. I, can I and we're going we're gonna to try to dress that up. We're going to try to put lipstick on that pig. Anyways, I've got some fine. pushback on that a little bit. Uh, just to say that I don't think that the fact that they are unable to predict their or really truly define um, their function is necessarily pointing to the fact that they don't have a good... Uh, Role for no, I don't think that's. I don't think that's in sl- Marxism. No, I don't think that's Slav's point. That's not Slav's point. I'd say that they're they're a, the only reason the Olympian pro really exists is because they are the failures of capitalism, right? Like proletariat's <laughs> being forced into Olympian pro system, so yep. it's not so yeah. a catch-all of like what they couldn't understand, and more so just like they're these are the externalities and negative externalities of capitalism that have yet to truly like really come into play as it is now in the modern day. Like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't think economy. I don't think Slav is uh, discrediting the the term. I, I think I think the point is that it's it's good that it's flexible and that it can it can adapt to and be recontextualized now, like you're saying with the gig economy and all that. Like I think that's a that's a. Well, I also just I, I also just think it's, it's not to say that like like you can't do a, like a, a Marxist analysis of them and that that's a complete wash. Just that like it doesn't really produce uh like like an examination doesn't produce as adequate an answer as it does for the working class and the middle class uh what you're saying yeah definitely and and just just like just the, the last point because i think this is really the main angle that i'm coming at it from uh is um uh, looking at it as that uh these ideologies are tools and so at this point, realizing that the hammer isn't working on the screw all that well, you can put the hammer of Marxism down and adopt another exactly. avenue uh, exactly. to employ. Anyways. Anyway. Exactly. Because, yeah, I, I just I just feel like, you know, this this, this whole thing, I, I you, there needs to be this, you know, the high-minded approach, like, you know, Marx and Engels obviously are, are leagues smarter than all of us, obviously, sure. But the, the thing is, like, you, there has to be a way to translate these things down. You could be right and accurate and, and the smartest person in the world and not move anybody, you know, and not get shit done for anybody. 
So, you know, it's not enough. And that's why, you know, Slava uh, had, uh, you know, I had Radlib uh, perceptions of, of what nationalism was. And Slav had, like, uh, basically coaxed me out of that talking about it on the pod. And basically, like, these things can be a vehicle, just like the, you know, the Black Panthers uh, lunch program. Like, these yeah, things absolutely. can be tangible, reachable, visceral things in your face beyond just theory and things in books that can link you to the broader ideas and that, that are the vehicle to that. Like domino theory and like in Vietnam and all the, like these things that, you know, nationalism as, as a way of breaking away from imperialism, like, that you know, it's, it's, it's more than just, you know, how they frame it now. It's just like, oh, nationalism is, is xenophobia or whatever. Like it's deeper than that. Like, sometimes it's, it's, there's more utility to that than just, uh, you know, just that consequence of it. Or if it's small minded, if that's how you want to frame it like that, that's not the end goal of it. And it can be used for something oh, bigger. Okay. I want to I want to sort of go off of that um, and sort of tie it back to what I see as parallels between the Black Panther example and the uh, oh what I'm forgetting the pronunciation Lazzarini yeah Lazzarini, yeah, Lazzarini example you know insofar as I have a pet project I think my big focus is on dehumanization and sort of what I get from this example and and really from the the Black Panther example is. If you focus on precarity as the motivating force behind the lumpen proletariat, um, the ways in which their their, their uh, allegiance to any sort of left project could be undermined is because capital could easily take advantage of that uh, precarity, right? And sort of yeah. when I think of the antagonism that Marx and Engels have towards it, it's it's this unreliability from the precarity, which capital is very well positioned to take advantage of. Uh-huh. When I think of how a left project would counterbalance that, I think both Laz- the Lazzarini example and the Black Panther example get at it, which is there's a humanizing function which uh, acknowledges the precarity and looks to address that precarity. And through that, you know, sort of build, a, a le- de- develop some sort of allegiance. And so, like with the king, sort of what stuck out to me is. Um, how Jack described his relationship, uh, the king of La- the the relationship as the king of Lazzarini, and this intimacy that um, the king of Naples had with that group from not just like recognizing, like providing them sort of opportunity of subsistence, but sort of engaging with them on a more interpersonal level and recognizing them yeah. as such. And parallel right. to that, the Black Panther Party, I think, you know, doing those sort of meals and doing this sort of daycare kind of stuff is acknowledging this group of people as people and focusing on their primary needs, which is, you know, addressing that precarity and, and somehow reincorporating them into uh, the system. Right. right? And, class allegiance coming from that and and yeah. when you counter that you know when you think of the people who are like read theory what that <laughs> is so dumb to me because it's like that does nothing to adjust the exactly. i think it dehumanizes because it's it's like you guys would be a great tool so you should exactly uh, perform the role as a tool for us and exactly with like nationalism i would caution that as well because i think you can just as easily get into being like hey like you should join this thing you should we have this like you know national movement these are your people and they can be like well i don't i'm not getting anything out of this so why should i rely on you like the the viciousness which capital can undermine a project that would include the include the lumpen proletariat is through that precarity and it's through that precarity that a left project would need to be built on and focus yeah 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 it's like um i think one of the things is i was just thinking before was that it's it's good that you guys are like i feel doing a lot uh thinking in a way that a lot of left is not in which they sort of um 
they sort of seem to sort of walk away from the real politics of things, like right. real, um, yeah, real politics, which is basically uh, strategies of power. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're. So, they're yeah, I think they're. I like they're ideas. Of the second coming of Akshay. Second coming of what? Yeah, because like um, yeah, exactly. There are a lot of ideas. There are a lot, a lot of people on the left. Um, is, even those who are going to say oh, I, I identify as materialist, they're going to be like, oh, you know, read theory. I need, we need to have more political education right. programs. Right. And like, I think that's that is putting the cart before, that is putting the cart before the horse. Right. So, right. I think real politics often is basically strategy between groups of people to get it to a sort of a common goal. And um, yep. one thing that immediately springs to mind is um, basically any, you know, like you have all these like leftist intellectuals who like theorize well, what we're going to do in power. Right. But whenever that, what they talk about, maybe I haven't read enough, but what they talk about seems to be really divorced from what actual leftist um, governments do when they're in power. Like I remember reading about, um, I think it's Allende in Chile, and they were having so much trouble like cementing their power, which they'd won electorally. And they had to come up with all these sort of, I feel like they had to sort of almost do all this new theoretical work, which was just directly applied to sort of rural political practice. So they were talking about um, basically... Uh, opinion leaders and not and discovering who opinion leaders were and swaying them and bringing groups of people over to their side gotcha to to, to, to their political project through these measures and these incentives and um that sounds really different from what a lot of what you hear the left talk about but it is in fact basically what politics is yes. which is kind of always does my head in because it's like um i remember once i was all uh, kind of recently i was arguing with someone and i was basically saying something like along the lines of this and this person was like, oh, you're making, are you just basically saying that everybody is like this uh, reigning objectivist? Like the fact that I was talking about interests and self-interests and collective self-interests mm. right. rather than um, so rather than moral values and right. imperatives right. It meant that mm -hmm. I was sort of suspect ideologically. And I thought that's ridiculous because I always thought that, say, like Marxism was about a battle of interests between different classes, not about a battle of um, moral, uh, not like yeah. a moral debate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that leads into your stress, stress or uh, yeah, I think yeah, I, yeah, definitely. I think a big hole in the Bernie thing, and the, the thing that I learned about the left in general through the whole thing is just like the whole, you know, are you, would you fight for someone else like you would fight for yourself? And this whole, you know, you know, a lot of the wokery left that's like based oh, yeah. on like one hundred percent empathy, and you know, the read theory shit, where it's like, oh, if you read this, you'll think exactly the way I think, and then you know, the world will be fixed just off that alone. Like it's very yeah. idealistic yeah, shit. Well, with, uh, yeah, that happened with um, Corbyn too, you know. Yeah. You know, in, in Britain, there was, I think, the um, all the newspapers, like, adopted a line in, in, in Britain, of course, about who you should vote for. And, like, the, the Labor newspaper, the Labor tabloid, which is the Mirror, I think um, they put out a headline on election day, which was, like, do it for them or vote for them. And it shows you all these um, people who are having a really hard time, like, you know, kids who don't have homes and uh, people who are on food banks. And I remember looking at that, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, vote for them. You know, it's not, yeah. not about you. It's exactly, about you. exactly, exactly. And look, you don't, you don't need to make. This is the thing. Like the left always wants to make these idealist pitch, whether it's the theory route or the the wokery route. But you don't need to do that. You could just be like, yo, you're about to be fucked in the ass. Like this shit is about to be tanked. The whole thing is about to be tanked. You're about to get fucked. Like you need to uh, save yourself. Like you, we have a self interest pitch. We totally do. And and it needs to be hammered away. It needs to be made. It's not made. And this whole, you know, high-minded, like, literalist interpretation of some shit written a century ago is bullshit. It's not going to click with anybody. It's, it's high-minded bullshit, and, like, nobody's going to click with this shit. And, and you know, you're, you're just going to be... If you're going to go and run for politics, you need to tell people what, they, what you're going to give them, right? Like, exactly. You, you up there, and you're, 
you want their you want their vote, everybody's going to ask, what are they going to give me? Exactly. A lot of people become mm-hmm. engaged in politics because they're like, well, no one's fucking giving me anything. Exactly. So and you can't. Yeah, you can't do this shit off guilt. It's not good. That's not a good enough drive. You can't be like, oh. You should feel guilty because you're not uh, donating, or you're not, uh, you know, you're not woke enough. You're not. I, I, I would say, I would say that it can be a good, good drive for a certain sort of people, and those people are yeah, usually materially yeah, stable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cucks, basically. Yeah. yeah. I think well, you have, like, basically, they, they, they don't have to worry about the material. Um, exactly. Exactly. They exactly. can be like, they can go up, like you were saying before, with the Maslow hierarchy, and be like, okay, now I can uh, do this next level, which is about exactly. self affirmation. Exactly. Like, and just right back around to just like the emptiness of the middle class, and just like, and it's like yeah, no, you just go up to him, you just like, and you just tell him like, you don't want to be a piece of shit, do you? You know? and then like, oh, oh god, oh no, this is the most important thing in my fucking life. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. tell somebody, yeah, exactly, exactly. Tell somebody working at McDonald's like, hey, don't you want to be a good person? Don't you want to be? They don't have time to think about that shit. They're trying to fucking you know pay fucking rent. Nobody's trying to fucking worry about like. I, I, yeah, go ahead. I think that sort of is the, the two the two sides of that middle class cultural politics is uh one side is telling you oh, oh you don't want to be a bad person do you and the other side's like hey guess what I'm a fucking bad person <laughs> yeah and we you know, I'm bad oh you know flicks James Dean leather jacket collar <laughs> I think you can do just straight material change while at the same time spinning that for the sections of the petite bourgeois you might want to get as being the way to be sympathetic. It's like, okay, so through these real material changes that we're talking about, that's the way that you can be the most sympathetic and like that's the way you're gonna be able to help these other people around you that you still might wanna help. Be it from like empathy's still a driving force that yeah. is real yeah. in a collective society that's like humanity. Like I think that's just like we're a collective mm-hmm. being and there is definitely empathy and it's a driving yeah. force. Sure. It's not definitely the only great. force to, to reach no. you. Right. Uh, I think that I like think you're saying, like it's definitely force. been... That's, I think yeah. it's unreliable as the prime political... Exactly. Impulse. Right, right. But as, like, to, to it's an offshoot. Along, it definitely is a good thing. And, you know, if we didn't love in our lives, you know, where would we be after all? Right. right. Sure. So <laughs> I, think you can, I think you can do both. <laughs> I think you can focus on pure material change while relating that in a general sense to uh, morality yeah. if you need to for the people that you need to do it. Um, I, I think sort of like my interest in when the Black Lives Matter stuff was going down, you know, I think everybody was, you know, all the people in our circle of Twitter were, a lot of them were very dismissive and sort of the avenue that I thought if I was trying to convince friends to adopt the lens I had was you start with Black Lives Matter and then you have to tie Black Lives to Black Livelihoods and get them to acknowledge that you know the material needs of black people is a huge factor in the justice issues that they're preoccupied with and then from there transition from black livelihoods matter to working livelihoods matter um are you an all lives matter guy huh you sound like an all lives matter guy i was trying to dance around that holy shit you can't (laughs) the black lives matter to all lives matter pipeline (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so and sort of the way I think of like, you know, we are in a capitalist system and I think that the people at the top and the people at the bottom very much get that in that, you know, the concept of securing the bag is (laughs) on its face. Like, you know, I think it speaks to a certain demographic more than others. And I think it's self-evident in the, uh, you know, the wealthiest in our country who have all the power and really what i see the middle class as is they are not a, you know that reality is obfuscated and so they get caught up in all these you know moral uh, campaigns which they can't see the relationship to and it's really a question of is it worth the time to try to go from black lives matter to working livelihoods matter um, right right you're trying to 
combat with that. You know, they don't they don't have all of the power, so they're not clear in being like, well, we just need to accumulate as much capital so we can call the shots. And they are not completely precarious to the point where they're like, well, we just need to make ends meet. So like secure the bag, fuck everything else. And you're talking about the middle class. Yeah, the middle class, they're just blinders because it's not that obvious. Well, see, and see, that's where that's where like I will disagree a little bit, which is that I mean, it's still true, I think, in a way, maybe that's contradictory. Uh, that like there is this kind of emptiness and this kind of nihilism that comes out of security. But I, I do kind of generally agree with like the Lind examination that like, uh, you know, you have you have DSA and you have Tea Party. And these are both just uh, reactions from the middle class to the threat of, of proletarianization. And like that, mm. like 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 the middle classes as forces of reaction I mean, that's not uh, is, is like the big driving force going on right now. Yeah, that's not so much what I'm saying. What I'm saying more is, is well, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, their conception of, you know, uh, alleviating the suffering in the world is not filtered through the, you know, stark reality of, you know, what matters within capitalism. It's and so, you know, well, that, yeah. that's more just what I'm speaking. Yeah. To. The question for me is like, is it worth the time to try to get through and make that transition, or is it worth it to, you know, like this is where I think the lumpen proletariat leading oh, yeah. question comes. It's like, what who's more reliable, obfuscating the middle class or like deprecariat? I mean, making the lumpen proletariat less precarious. Oh and yeah. More reliable. See, see, yeah. This yeah. is something that Coh and I talk have been talking about, and like this is something I I, I think about a lot, and like. I think th- like those those BLM people, not all of them, right? But a lot of those like well-off people, right? Fuck those people. Fuck them. Fuck like <laughs> fuck convincing them. Fuck those people. And, and the more, again, like I've said this before, like the more radlibs you get, the less real people you get. You is a zero sum mm-hmm. game. I'm I'm 100% convinced of this. It is a zero sum game. For every one you get, whatever like the Schumer quote that that kind of fits this thing, like. You lose two. Yeah, yeah, you lose two lumpen pros in the suburbs of Pennsylvania, whatever the fuck you said. Like you're losing, you're losing. It is a zero. It's a zero sum game because these fucking people are not fucking reliable. These people are not reliable. They have no stakes, right? It's like the Warren people, right? The Warren people are, or what? Uh, you know, most of you know the average Bernie person could could figure as like. Sir. Yeah, yeah, no. The the Warren uh, the Warren person is like the, the who they could figure as like a PMC like a rad lib like uh you know no stakes no real stakes, but they want they have the right idealism or whatever right. These people and this is why the idealism path is bullshit. It's 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 just a thing to say. It's just a thing to say and to virtue signal and to pander. They are not serious. They are not fucking serious because they don't have any stakes. The most reliable thing is the people who have stakes. And that thing about defining the lumpen, I don't want to get too pedantic or, or, you know, like into all that or whatever, but I think the way Spicy said it is is perfect. Like, who's precarious? And 80% of people in this country are going paycheck to paycheck. That's precarious, right? Some of those people are, uh, you know, trust fund kids in Brooklyn that I know who, like, you know, they're going paycheck to paycheck and freelancing, but they could fall back on their parents' money at any time. They're fine. So there's another dimension to that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, but this, that still falls within the general scope of uh precariousness you're not really if, if, if you got that fallback you're not precarious so the whole the amount of people that are precarious is a substantial amount and i think that's the best metric for who we should be after it has a sizable number and will be reliable and have real stakes in changing this shit the other people i i, I don't i mean when i'm talking to i've got lib friends i've got rad lib friends who are into blm and you know telling me biden's harm reduction i talked i do take that approach you're taking spicy i tell them like look you, you want to do this shit you know you know how you really do it there's this other level to it. There's material level. That's how you really do it. The thing you're talking about is 
superficial and will last maybe a week or two or a year. You know, you want to really fix this shit. This is how you really fix it. So I take that approach in, you know, one to one discourse. But aside from that, like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't trust these fucking people. Reed, Reed says this shit all the time. Yeah. You cannot trust these people. They're 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 yeah. They've got no stakes. That's the thing. You know, we all know that, you know, uh, acceleration argument or whatever, like as this shit really collapses, they will have stakes and maybe then they'll be on board. But till then, fuck them. Fuck them. Don't talk to these people. Yeah. You know, yeah. no, talk to them. But like, don't they're not who we should be going after. This this might be a fun way to describe it, um, and there's two questions that come with it. But really, like the question is, do you want to do a project where you're going to be going to classrooms and debating with with you know the middle class educated people who are you know controlling you know the, the blue checks on Twitter or the blue checks in the, the in the making, or yeah, sickos or sickos in the making, sickos in training, or <laughs> do you want to go into uh, you know like lunchrooms and provide food for kids and integrate yourself within the community it's like which of those two strategies you know obviously this is an abstraction but which of those two strategies it seems more promising and i think as well like which two seem more fulfilling because i don't want like i don't like getting in dumb debates on twitter because i think it's dumb and pointless um but also because it's just like it, it, it's toxic and it's it's just a, dr- a complete energy drain right yeah, but like when you're, I agree with you, and it's like when you go to say you're trying to um, anyone from the like say the DSA was wasn't wasn't that quote or that sorry figure, thirty percent of the DSA own earns over one hundred k a year. Holy <laughs> shit! Some shit like that. I did not see that. I heard that heaps. Well, I might be wrong, but I've heard it. But if I'm <laughs> wrong, there um, a lot of other people are wrong too because I keep seeing that around. It um, feels right. It yeah, feels right. So, yeah. So like, if you are going to basically, uh try and win over that sort mm-hmm. of demographic or that class of people what are you what are you doing because like like how like this, this isn't like a, a game right this isn't just like a i mean yeah. to some people i should be i should be honest but it mm-hmm. should be like a sort of uh, a game or like a why don't you join my my club sort of thing going on this isn't a sort of a social mm-hmm. exercise it's it should be a political one so when you go to these people um they're, they're they're in a certain position and you as a potential political actor in another position and you're going to go up to them and be like okay this is what I believe, la, 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 la. And how are you going to get their support? How are you going to make them join your political project or support your political project? Like, mm-hmm. that, they're, if they're already pretty decent, but all you can do is like persuade them through moral hectoring. <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah, well, limit, that's a limited way you can do that. Absolutely. Like, you, know, it's, yep. like, you know, in America, I'm sure you have this too. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not that strange, but you know those pe- people on the street who try to sell you things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Charity yeah. people? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, subway, you know, yeah. sometimes you talk to them, yeah, and that that's that's the position that you're going to be in with this uh, professional middle class, like, and a lot of the time they'll say, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll look, I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, sorry, mate, I got to run. You know? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll consider a welfare state, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, uh, next, really, next week. <laughs> really thinking about that welfare state. Yeah, probably good. I really like what you guys are doing and a lot of support, but I really got to. I can't stay. You know, that's that's what it's, it's, it's like. But if you're going to someone who does need something. And suddenly you're useful to them and you right. can really get something going on. Right. I think one of the Labor parties and social democratic parties of, say, uh, the Western world and even, yeah, and, and going into sort of the global south, sort of the more radical parties, that's how they got created because there was a constituency that needed something mm-hmm. and wasn't their needs weren't getting addressed and they were getting more and more powerful in that society. And a political project came along and uh, started acting in their interests. I don't see any way you can really do that with the professional middle class. Yeah, I think. And, and, and the th- the thing that I'm 
one thing that I think is getting conflated here that I think is important to name is that like I, I feel that when we're talking about the bourgeois and them just being comfortable and so them not caring, I, I, th I think that a distinction needs to be made that I think we're lumping in in a big way just motivation to get involved with the political system and, or and slash or votes as opposed which like like saying saying like they're comfortable like there's not there's not a drive for them like well no like hold on a second like no they have their class incentives and the meaningful problem at the end of the day is that they're not in line with your well-being that's what right? i'm that's and, what i'm saying yeah and, and so and and so and so like it's it's not it doesn't like there's there's the they're comfortable and they don't give a fuck argument which is absolutely relevant in political viability and winning an election and then there's the well no they very much have interests though and when those interests are expressed in the political system it's at the at the cost of working thank classes. you that's what i'm saying and so, and it's so, a zero so really game. To, say, to say like oh like they don't have any skin in the game like you know they're comfortable is really more just saying they're not a high value voter just which is just flipping the lump and pearl thing on its head a little bit and saying mm -hmm. well actually you know well actually really it's the middle class that, that's overvalued right and, right and right the person living you know in, in the lower position is actually a lot more valuable because they're just a more, better motivated worker um, yeah i think there's an, but there's an interesting uh, little uh, thing you can go into here it's like well, I, I think a lot of the i, I mean it's where is left politics even going in America? Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, with the whole Bernie stuff, I mean, when, when we're talking about what talk, when, yeah, on this subject, I think we're, what we're all, our reference point basically is the Bernie campaign mm -hmm. and what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. you know, they were trying to win over Warren people, et cetera, and not concentrating as much on um, people who, you know, some would characterize as lumpen. Like, what, is, what, was, what was the Bernie campaign specifically trying to do, right? It was trying to put a little bit more of a welfare state into the United States. That was its, like, immediate program. Right. And um, which, which gets that to what you guys were saying earlier, just about like, do you make it so that it's a little easier to get into the middle class, or do you make it a little more comfortable to be in the lower class? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, and obviously the Bernie experiment was the latter. Yeah, and I suppose the traditional uh, welfare state program was to do, but was like to have it both ways. So, like in Australia, for instance, you, um, the, I mean subsidized university degrees are considered part of the welfare state so someone on um basically comes from the lump and proletariat class can like in sort of sheer numbers terms can get a university education because of uh the support of the government right that so that's to facilitates that and then at the same time people who are, are sort of very poor and on the bottom of the uh of the economic spectrum they can still get um uh say f uh, universal health care or um unemployment benefits and all that and free schooling and all that stuff as well so it's that i think what happens is that like you can bring those two things together and make a sort of a welfare state that sort of looks out for the middle class too while sort of keeping the working classes and even the underclass quite happy and that's yeah. the stable medium that a lot of places have got to and it's getting corroded by neoliberalism and it's like mm. america's trying to sort of get to that state where we're already at and i think uh, the sort of professional middle class play a very strange and uncertain and shifting role in that, and it's hard to really understand where they're going to go. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, to... I kind of got what I meant there. <laughs> it was a bit rambling. No, I'm going to just put a little bit of pushback just on what Spice he was talking about, as far as uh, being either do you want to reach out to the classrooms and try to debate to the middle class, or go directly into the lunchrooms and give food to those that are precarious. Mm -hmm. I think obviously, I think that's just a bit of a false dichotomy. Like, and I know yeah. that we probably all understand that. Obviously, and we're talking about just what's more 
functionally relevant priorities sort of, right. uh, main tactic uh, but at the same time I think that that being said it it discounts the there is still an influence uh, and ideology is still a pretty powerful force especially among the middle class uh, and those types of people so even though you know material conditions drive ideology and form ideology there's a dialectical relationship between the material conditions that are then created due to individuals ideologies so I think that you can still make a play uh, that is still ideologically attractive to those more liberal tendency middle class people not on a base of pandering to them or trying to get them or even even really reaching out to them as much as just not trying to completely disregard them and distance yourself from them yeah. just as you wouldn't do with them. like yeah. if you know like you're gonna have you're gonna get those more leaning bleeding heart lip pmc people that are gonna flock to the left projects because left projects are based on a, some sort of program of liberation right and most of the time that's going to go in line with their more highly idealized notions of morality etc so mm -hmm. yeah. i think it's still important to attract those people and to not push them off but not to let them direct the direction in which you're going exactly. and yeah. not to try to pander to those people but to stay resolute and material you know change but still like you don't want to say like oh like oh we've got some rad lips that are here we're fucked forever now like i think you in order to have an effective movement, I think attracting some rad libs is a good sign as long as you're not mm -hmm. pandering to them directly. Yeah, as long yeah, as you're not allowing it case. to... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you got to fight a two-front war, one of those being yeah. a culture war in that way. Like, it, like you need you need to have the the, the cultural chops there to, to fight that fight. Um, and then, you know, on the other hand, kind of going and, and building coalitions and doing the groundwork make you know greasing the wheels with you know specific individuals right. with access to specific groups of people and mm -hmm. yeah take over institutions so you can actually develop you know institutional power in some way exactly. yeah, and on the flip side i mean all this pmc and stuff definitely like obscures the class consciousness of movement on its surface level right because you're like all oh, these rallies are here like they don't have the same material the yeah. exact same material you know conditions and um goals as we do um but what it is is there's still some sort of linking there that mm -hmm. that they can be used politically still as a force uh just as much as the limping pro could yeah. um and i think that it's important still to to understand that like obviously it's it is an issue that we need to work on dissing ourselves from like red lip policy and stuff like that um but because you know they definitely want to come in and try to obscure class consciousness um and get you know people to kind of swing more towards these bougie pmc ideals um, but I think it's that we just need to be resolute in saying, you mm -hmm. know, like if there needs to be some sort of party or organization or some sort of left movement, and if when that does happen or if it ever does happen, uh, it needs to be resolute in saying that it is not going to go off these identitarian rad lib well, look, um, policies, look. but that their solutions are going to still Wait. be the right solutions for those problems that are being raised in those issues. Like <clears throat> just because you're admitting that there is an issue that exists. Uh, doesn't not by any means imply that you have to use that as a reality to constitute the way that your well, look, policy is look, shaped. Yeah, I mean, if, if you can if you can get them without pandering and catering to them and bending to them, that's great. That's fine. But they're of the managerial class, right? They usually come in with uh, uh, demands and ways of reshaping the narratives and all this bullshit. That's usually their mindset to come in and redirect things the way they prefer it. They're not usually these humble people that come in and just sit and be quiet and listen. That's not how they move. Usually, I'm not yeah. going to say all of them, but that's usually they've got some 
authoritarian tick to it of, of, of how the sure. convo should go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can get them in and, and, you know, and not cater to them, that's great. But in my experience and from what I've seen, that's not how it is. They come in to dictate the conversation. It's like Slav said, they sure. have different yeah. interests and not only different interests, perpendicular to what the working class or the lump and pole or the underclass desires. And, you know, mm-hmm. well, and this is and this is like and this gets to something I, I've talked about previously on the show, which is just that, like I honestly think that if you have, you know, a working class power politics or whatever we want to call it. Um, uh, while we are gathered here today, no, uh, like, if you, if you have that, like, and, and you're, and you're not blackpilled on electoralism, then I think that the networks within the, the American right right now are the places in which you should be wheeling and dealing and like thinking about running a, a political campaign. Because like, I mean, I, I think that I, I'm not really prepared to give like a, like a huge long case for it, but I honestly just think that like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the interests of of the urban bourgeois are just like a lot more rabid right now because cities are a fucking nightmare. And just I, I think that I think that they have a much more thorny uh, position in politics right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then and then well, and then speaking of disposition and then, yeah, I mean, culturally, like. They're fucking psychotic. Has just been like Saturday Night Live, just like building to like did mm. Sapuku next week. You know what I mean? Like it's it's fucking insanity. And so I think that the I think the concessions that you need to make to the right is actually probably less of a, a hindrance than the concessions you would need to make yes. uh, on the left right now. Oh, yeah. and, that, and, that, and that's no fucking uh, uh, <laughs> for the Republican Party, which are still comically uh, uh, fucking like snidely whiplash villains. Uh, uh, just to build off of that, like I, to clarify, like I, I said abstraction, I think dichotomy is a better way. Um, Co, I think you described it. Uh, better but i'm not saying seed the ground entirely i just think in terms of project building i don't see the middle class as the place for it i see that as an ideological ideological ground in which to have you know to sort of combat the forces that crk is citing right and the looking at the more precarious and that's not exclusively lump control um is really where project building needs to be done and if you go into the co- ideological combat, treating it like it's project building, I think that's sort of where you get into this very like uh, burdensome, toxic discourse where you feel like you have to commit to converting minds because it's going to build power when it's really not and it's really going to waste your time. But you still do need to have that battle, but just more to, you know, fend off the rad libs who are going to, you know, turn the Bernie campaign into a more middle class. Yeah. And, project than lower class. Yeah, and, and and I'm taking this from a real politic perspective. So just by numbers, right? It's a pyramid, right? There's less people on the top than the bottom. So fuck those people. There's not that many of them. You know, you can't you can't weigh them out as like, all right, well, if we get the PMC people, well, that that's that's as viable a group or, or a pool as as the lump and pool or whatever. And, and whatever how you define each of those things, whatever. There's less of them in the former than the latter. That's a fact. That's just how income inequality works. That's just how the whole thing is set up. So fuck them. You, you know what I mean? Like the there's not that many of them, and they they're louder. They've got more, uh, you know, presence in the media and Jacobin or whatever, the, you know, all these like outlets or whatever. But there's not that many of them. There just isn't. So there is. There they should be yeah. a back thought. They they should be on the back burner. Well, they, they, but they need to be. You still need to like 
fight against them because they are the ones with institutional power. Oh, They're absolutely. The ones who- well, no, no, absolutely. no, exactly. And this, is, and, this is, and this is the whole thing is that it's just like, it's like, no, we have a bourgeois, like our electoral system, and honestly, probably like any representative democracy's elect- just system is a bourgeois form of government, right? So like we need to collaborate with, with the middle class, right? It just so happens that right now, just by circumstance alone, the left middle class is is just is just like the psychotic drunk after a breakup. And they're just, yeah, <laughs> a fucking mental breakdown. And like what's good for them really isn't good for much anybody else but them. And then the people on the right are, yeah, I mean, they just, I mean, the, 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 and then, but then you know, we need to get into just like the fact that like the, the right is kind of like an impotent political machine in a lot of ways. Yeah. But that's like a completely different but matter. When, when CRK is saying Trump is... Uh, extending benefits and and you know uh, freezing evictions you should vote for him like that's what i think you're speaking to is there's some wiggle room on the right to work with that at least you know trump is offering and, and you should lean into that rather than just reject it yeah power politics like these things exist to serve man not the other mm-hmm. way around mm-hmm. I mean, the issue kind of is that you're um america's in this very I'm unenviable position where the, it seems like. The, All right, well, don't don't fucking brag about it, bro. <laughs> you sound mad oh content about that. You're gonna rub it in you. <laughs> like building a welfare state, trying to build a welfare state at a time when this class you're talking about, this uh, professional managerial, professional middle class, right. is at its most dominant, at least culturally, probably in numbers as well. Right. So it's it's hugely dominant, and. Most other countries that built a welfare state, right, they did so at a time when that class was was so was smaller and less dominant, and had to basically hitch itself to the wagon of the organised working class through the trade unions. Now the, it's been put in the other direction, and the trade unions are desperately tagging along behind this professional middle class, uh, basically vehicle, and that's why we all you're always going to have. I mean, no, you're always, not always going to have, but at, at the moment, what you have is sort of left politics which is basically a vehicle for the professional middle class which occasionally throws a bone or mentions uh um labor yeah yeah i, yeah. I mean it's, it's basically it's basically just like uh a, 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 like politics as just like a bunch of shorthand symbols right. that's what leftism yeah, is that's, that's, that's what they're about right i mean the professional yeah. managerial middle class whatever you want to call it, it's all about it's, uh, basically exchanging and trading of symbols and that becomes politics because that's like their cl- that class character starts to enter politics I feel but like, right. the problem is I don't even know how you get over that structural impediment right what, what, what do you even do in this in this well, place um, I mean it's, it's sort of it's in other parts of the parts of the world it's also a problem because this class of people getting more powerful at the expense of uh, the working class is, is creating uh, is going to materially disadvantage the working class sooner rather than later you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, I think the, I, I will say because you said that like it's, it's pretty, you know, there's, there's a good amount of PMC, and I, 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 so I do acknowledge that, but with the asterisk next to it that like there really isn't that many. It's just that there don't need to be so many, right? Like, 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 for, like you know, you know what I mean. They're more potent. They're a concentrate juice, right? Uh, you, so you can spread it out more, but like there's still not that many of them and i think right now one of the big things that i'm just looking at is that they're the ones closest to proletarianization and and so and so right there that makes them 
uh, that's the biggest thing that makes them volatile as far as far as like an option for coalition building. But uh-huh. but, but also um, that also means that they're like the closest to just like political impotence in my mind. Um, and so I do think that that's like, you know, you were kind of just like, I mean, how do you deal with such a bum situation? And I don't necessarily know if like the PMC falling lower is actually would actually be like a good thing because it might be good to have that counterweight to balance out the rural bourgeois. But but that is a factor. And like right now, people are fucking leaving the cities like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it's a fucking meme in New York. Like it's a yeah. fucking joke. Right. And yeah. and I'm talking to my friends that that live more in the heart of like Seattle. Um, and like, yeah, like no one. I mean, I don't think that they're really going to abolish the police department. But even like to the extent of just like what they actually do, like management's moving out of the fucking city. Like they don't want to they don't want to deal with that. And that and that will at least like result in some kind of a splintering. Or they're building four million dollar fences. <laughs> right. Right. Build that wall, baby. <laughs> Build that wall. Start local. Um, I think. I think. Like. I think the what the what uh, everything should be oriented around is how does the left build power? And I think this is what I really like about like Khaled. Uh, I'm slightly mispronouncing, but he does a really good job, sort of continuing to focus on that point. And I think when you're talking about like the bougie middle class and with the lumpen proletariat it's which is more opportune for building power and what possible strategies are there and i think the unenviable position that the u.s is in as jack put it is it's very unclear how one is supposed to go about engaging with anything close to building power and you know what steps to take but that's which, is where, a, which is a dream scenario for capital because, yes. because because you know because any any form of like real class consciousness is totally you know eluding everyone um but yeah sorry yeah you gotta sort of ask what what does the the pay because i I mean the the term pmc is kind of um a difficult term because it can mean different things to different people but like just i mean exactly right right. but i think it's even if it's more difficult at times but um like assuming we have the same generalization of that that term means like what do they want politically now i feel like it's a lot of it's like very specific to naturally their interests. So, um, what are they after? They after um, uh, debt forgiveness for university or college debts, right? That they're after that. Yep. They, they want. Um, you get the feeling like they want uh, national borders to be less. Uh, well, then they're not concerned with national borders as, as much, or they want it to be um, uh, sort of lessened, because they 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 tend to live a more globalized life. Right. And then they aren't impacted by say. Um, Influxes of, uh, of of in the labor market. Right? Absolutely, um, you can go through every one of these issues, and and it's like, okay, well, this helps them, this helps them, this helps them. So, yeah, how I mean, do you I integrate think- these things into the left projects? I mean, if if it's a working class project, I mean, uh, there's no reason why you can't integrate, say, um, free university into, uh, say, welfare state project. That's what I think most European and uh, mm-hmm. uh, not European, because some didn't, but like at least that's what happened in Australia. Um, down here, that that those were integrated together, and I feel that that brought smaller at that time in the 70s, um, middle class. It really brought them into the labor movements. Uh, orbit. Okay, that, that, I don't know if I would say that exactly right. It brought them into the labor parties um, orbit. Right. And in in 72, right. for the first time, the election of this guy called Gough Whitlam, you had um, a very big win from for, from the from the labor party for the first time in ages, which incorporated a new sort of section of the middle of the sort of liberal middle class. And a lot of the uh, of the legacy of that is uh, that same class of people still adore Whitlam, and they talk about what he did with, in the university sector. Hello, hello. I don't know. Cut out there. 
Yeah, yeah, sorry, I think I cut out. Um, yeah. yeah, so Whit- Whitlam, yeah, is um, you, you can get, okay, I think I know, basically, it, it comes back to the same problem I sort of, we, we, we all touched on before. It's that in a, in, a, in, a, in a world where the PMC or that class is so big and inf- influential compared to how it was, right, for whatever reason, um, how do you join those two classes together with, without having the PMC dominant? I just well, that's that. what I'm saying. Uh, the, the Corbyn campaign, the, the Bernie campaign was always this trying to form a coalition between them, the reformers, uh, you know, the, the remainers and, and, you know, and, and, the, and the left. Same thing with the Bernie, the, the Russiagate libs and DNC libs with the left, like always trying to form this coalition. It is impossible. These groups are antagonistic, right? However much that's an oversimplification, whatever. They are antagonistic fundamentally. So like you, you it's not possible. So we should just let that shit go because we've tried it. We've tried it 20 fucking times and it never worked. So let's try something else. Even if they're not like directly antagonistic or anything like that, even if you don't want to characterize it like that, what you can see is that they have different interests. And if one group is more powerful than the other group, then the more powerful group's interests will win out in that compromise. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So so weak and like what ends up being thrown to them is just, uh, you know, just chips. Like they just throw a bit of, oh, yeah. Oh, you can organize a little bit more if you like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think that I think that like I think that like the the middle class overpowering, uh, you know, like the the working working class interests in a in a political party, is like not a good enough reason in my mind to like have it be a deal breaker because again, like I just think that that's going to be an outcome of our of our political forms and, and you know here in the states we have only two parties there's more than i mean there's more than two parties here but like very much so um compared yeah. to you know a lot of other most most other fucking countries. and like um and so uh, like i do think it's important to acknowledge that like whatever we're gonna fucking do it is gonna over like the middle class is going to overwhelm working class power it's just hopefully getting the less shitty deal right and and i, and I think that i think that the, the big thing uh, the big thing about it i mean i don't know i don't want to sound too dismissive of what you're saying because because to, to a certain level of severity like you're you're absolutely right but i do like, think like a little bit of shit needs to be uh accepted in the soup or whatever metaphor and is like how you get that you know even if you have a compromise I, i'm agreeing with you you know we, we we have the society that we have right right how do you get compromise that is good is decent for say you know um socialism working class stuff when balance of power is skewed how it is yeah i mean yeah I, I, yeah i well, think that's I, why I, you need a third some type of party outside of the two-party system maybe not even purely based on winning electorally but just based a on third movement absolutely antagonizing and still yeah. working electorally as well to get absolutely. material changes but something that is outside that pmc framework that can be more of a actual working class underclass base I think so that they can be less Maybe see like the um, yellow vests in France right. might be the best bet for exactly. America. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, and but but then and look at the yellow vests. I mean, from what I understand, it's I mean it's it's like the political right is is more represented in the yellow vest protests right now than than the left is. Yeah, I'd sure. say it's not so much a left project, more so just a vehicle it's, power. It, like it, it's the anti-establishment, yeah. anti-establishment. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean yeah, I I think I think, I think, I think, I think I, yellow vest people, and it was like, who's your favorite candidate? And like twenty percent of them said like Le Pen, and then like nineteen percent of them said Mélenchon, the left candidate. Right, right, like, right. And then no one said, no right. one said what? Yeah, at least a big sixty percent of people. No one said like centrist. Macron. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's just anti. That's what I've been saying, and that's I guess why I'm a Nazbold. Like like 
the anti-establishment sentiment is the prevailing sentiment. And whatever degree degree there's a you have to accept some shit in the soup and you have to compromise with the PMC class, that's fine. That's fine. But if you're talking about negotiation, you highball, right? You highball. That's how you end. If you have to compromise and it's a long power dynamics, you're going to have to compromise. Sure. But at least if you have to fucking highball if you if you know you're going to you know accept some shit later. You have to. Otherwise, you're going to be eating more shit. So just highball it now. Make it a pure underclass agenda, economic agenda. And look, if these motherfuckers are uh, so virtuistic and idealistic that they'll they'll care out of the goodness of their heart to spite their own uh, class interest, then let them prove it. Prove it then, if, if that's if that's really what they feel. Well, it, well the, the, the point I wanted to make really fast, I, I realized I just cut you off, Spicy, sorry. But no, no, you're just, fine. Just because I wanted to emphasize it again is, you know, we were talking about, like, God, how do I, how do I reach these PMC? And uh, again, I'll just, I'll say it, like, the last couple of, I mean, the last year at the very least was, like, a lesson in the fact that, like, I, I think you can't. And just like, right. you know, like the workplace or, or the, the, the relationship with, you know, nonprofits or, or companies that, that are viable because of large government assistance and subsidy and everything. In that way, like, the professional middle class, the professional urban middle class is living a middle class existence greatly because of subsidy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean just like just, you know, distributive measures from like the government or something like that. But I mean, like, you know, the whole immigration policy and and H-1B work visas and things like that, where I mean, like, no, they're, they're on an island that's getting smaller. Um, and, and so they these people can't be helped because 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 the, the their pizza is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and they need to engage in greater and greater and greater forms of exploitation. But I mean specifically on the labor fronts uh, to be able to afford their position in the first place. And so it's just, they need to be 100% abandoned, 100% abandoned as far as cooperation with them goes. Um, yeah. I want to, I, I, like, I really, I really do think like the whole like steps forward really are like, you know, well, anyways, anyways, spicy, what were you going to say? Sorry. I just want to give, I think a simple model um, uh, of how I think about it. You know, you have, the top, which is uh, their material interests are concerned with power. You have the bottom where their material interests are concerned against precarity. And then you have the middle where their material interests are satisfied and their politics are driven primarily by empathy. And so at what point does the their material interests come in tension with their uh, empathy driving their politics and shift them into the upper bracket? And, you know, sort of the, the way I... You know, I think that's the question is how and how much do you want to collaborate with the middle class? Well, at what point is there a threat to their material interests mean that they're going to be more concerned with power than empathy? Because yes. at no point are they going like either they're going to fall out <laughs> of the middle class, in which case they become concerned with precarity. But until they are concerned with precarity in that way, they're going to be concerned with power so they can secure their position. And so, you know, that that's exactly. sort of the the line of contention where if you're making a strategic calculation of how to engage with these people it's do we want to bet that their empathy will take us this far and you know if you fuck up then the threat to the material interest is going to cut them off sooner than you thought and now you're back at square one because you know they've abandoned your project right 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 Right. You, the you, want, you want the middle class with the binky the the, the rural middle class <laughs> the baby has its binky and it's not going to fucking cry yeah freak out on you what are you saying the so one much? kind of uh glimmer of hope from all that there spicy um which there is any and it's quite dark in itself though uh, is that there is such a rapid proletarianization of mm -hmm. class pmc so hopefully on our side there is to where or get pushed into precarity the proletarian side uh, yeah just hanging the balance 
Yeah, and I, I don't like it's it's. I mean, it, I agree that it's like uh, a bit foreboding, and that more people are falling into precarity. But I think to tie this back to the concept of the lumpen proletariat and the sort of Black Panther, you know, king of uh, whatever the people name are, uh, Laranzini, is that <laughs> <laughs> like the way to address precariousness is through a humanizing project. And that I think is what solidarity is, and the Mutual way aid. to take it. Yeah, the way to take advantage of people falling into precarity is that they are falling into a position where they're able to actually, you know, engage with others in a humanizing way, and not in this like uh, I'm losing all my words, but you know, like like the people saying read Marx and engaging with the proletariat and lumpen proletariat as tools rather than as people. Um, I think the proletarianization will force them to actually engage with people on a human level, and that sort of solidarity is what will produce any meaningful project. And it's just being well positioned to actually ensure that that happens, and that capital can't, you know, rip Absolutely. everyone apart. And I think it's uh, important that we, as people, you know, maybe not, maybe you don't call yourself the leftist here, but whatever, uh, work on trying to position ourselves to where we're ready for that. Mm -hmm. um, to where we have organizational structures in place instead of lagging behind that, because it's already happening that there's already spontaneous move uh, happening within working class, within all society in general. I think it's hugely important going to try to focus on some get systems in place to to do that human outreach when we do it, uh, which even are now, but it's going to be even apparent, uh, and we're going to need to have some sort of structure, some sort of some organization to be guided. Yeah. I heard that, um, uh, sorry if I cut in, but I, I um, heard that uh, you were talking about proletarianization. I thought that was really interesting. But, um, and one point that I remember when I was looking at this stuff that uh, the Panthers made even in the 70s and 80s was that they were seeing that lumpen proletarianization was something that was going to be a real factor in politics even then. And I think... Now it's only accelerating, and so when we're talking about the proletarianization of the PMC, like what exactly do we mean, like, and how much of it is it going to be? Right. It's given how, mm -hmm. given how much things are getting automated and uh, going straight even to loop and PM, pull. Even, yeah, even PMC yep. jobs it can be done by AI in the next five years. Absolutely. So, so um, just gonna, is it going to be a lump in proletarianization rather than a proletarianization? Yeah, I'd yeah. say that. I'd say even in general, it's in America at least, especially we don't even really have what you could consider a strong proletarian force yes. in the first place like yes. so that's really like when i say proletarianization i i feel like limping proletarianization is almost inherent within that yeah. because yeah. our quote-unquote proletariat or what we would view as like the working underclass here in america is expansive because of the fact that so much of our economy is the service of the gig economy to mm -hmm. jobs are so by the day um to where it's even that's something I've been really in contention with as well, because that's something that's in Marxism. Uh, one of the main tenets, obviously, is that the proletarian is like the revolutionary class, right? They're going to be the leading class. That's kind of Lenin's whole working class proletariat is the vanguard revolution. And it makes me start to think here, well, we don't really have, they would have as an industrial proletariat, right? We don't have all this stuff. So when, like you're saying, people tell you to read theory, how the fuck does that square with people, right? So mm -hmm. then it goes into looking, well, how do we define who we are as an underclass, how do we define the how do we define them, and what are the necessary distinctions, why are they, are they, and how, like how, what is our revolutionary class, what of people, things, uh, is the 
suited to be the revolutionary kind of workforce mm-hmm. leader in this since we don't have the industrial proletariat of a socialized workforce that they were working with post-industrial revolution because now we've hit that come back and now we're starting to atomize jobs mm-hmm. not so much in socialized labor where capital finding a way to cut off that contradiction absolutely in its tracks absolutely yeah i think if you're in favor of socialism you, you might have to even hope that um the predictions of a lot of people like marx and engels are wrong because London <laughs> proletariat yeah, it becomes a very numerically dominant class, then we better bloody hope they have some revolutionary potential. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just going to go into like techno-feudalism, you know? <laughs> you know, yeah. people like Bezos, who's going to be a trillionaire, that someone's telling me in the next couple of years, is people like him, and there's just going to be a sea of people with, who just exist off, like, you know, privatized UBI or something. Uh, that's unfortunately um, that's, almost definitely what's in the books. That's what I'm saying. Because I yeah, mean, yeah, if, if, it's a, if it's a guarantee that income inequality is trending the way it is trending, right? And and uh, mm-hmm. capital is smart enough to have, you know, shaken away the traditional conception of, of labor that, you know, at the time Marx was writing about all this shit. Like now it's all gig economy fractured even more, more atomized. Like there's zero solidarity. There's zero anything. You know, you're just, you're literally a cog. You're like as much of a cog as you can be. You know what I mean? Like, that's 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 the yeah. way things are headed. And at that point, you know, with, you know, they outsource the labor. Right. That's the first thing. And the next thing they can do, the next logical thing they'll do is automate it to get it even cheaper. Of course, they're going to do that. It's the only logical thing they'll do. And once they do that, then like, you know, what what are we fucking talking about? Like, especially like people who are clinging to this old century old conception of how to organize and how to build solidarity. Like, what the fuck are you even talking about? This shit won't even make any sense in a couple of years. You know, what I mean, it's completely outdated. And I've been warning about this because. This, go ahead. This is like. People go to um, um, from what you're talking about. A lot of people go towards like third worldism, right? But the thing that I see there is that like uh, they don't sort of recognize that industrialization is like a process and it has right. a beginning and an endpoint. And we're at its endpoint. And the countries that are going through industrialization now will be probably more like if things if if, if it trend keeps going, they'll probably be more constituted like our sort of societies. Oh yeah, sooner oh, yeah. rather than. That. Because I heard something saying, somebody saying that uh, when they started industrializing in China um, properly, um, they they did it all along the the Pacific coast, like the east coast of China. And what what they started to find after like 10, 20 years is like the wages went up to the degree that it was no longer profitable to, to have um, industry based there. So they're slowly moving industry over over a long period inland for cheaper wages. And what happens when they reach like you know like the fucking Tibetan plateau and the like, mountains and desert and and everybody. You know, and there's no more peasants to push into like the you know accumulation machine, whatever they call right, market. right. And what happens? Then mm-hmm. now you've got no cheap sort of labor in sort of China, and then will they you know try Southeast Asia and South Asia, right? Africa. But actually, like you said before, they're gonna automation's gonna be to the point where it's like you, we will just build robots to do it. We don't need to even need to industrialize uh, right. these parts of the world anymore. Right? Is there sole motivation? So you already know. That's what they're staying up like late at night working towards. And it's, it's, it's already going that way. It's already inevitable. And yeah, that's why the literalists like leftists who like try to take this black and white, uh, you know, apl- application of, of what they've read from, you know, centuries ago to now is just even more absurd because, like, yo, it's like it's like COH uh, and I talk about a lot. Like COH always says, like, you have to recontextualize the shit. You have to. Otherwise, you're not you're, not only do you not make sense to to average people. You literally just you don't make sense. Period. You don't make sense. Period. Anymore. Like it's it's not applicable. It's a funny like, yeah. the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Too, even too those like even right. your favorite theorists, even your favorite theorists like Lenin are gonna tell you that too in their fucking writing. Like yeah, the people that these people are reading are telling you know, dogmatism 
theory and like innovation is like reason why we're like that's yeah that yep. any type of revolutionary force faces and yet people are like yeah but dude have you not read about talk <laughs> to the economist in 1830 and you're like what the fuck are you talking about dude? <laughs> right. like, that's not even at all the same as now like yeah sure there's a couple like cool things to like take away from Absolutely. It and contextualize in today and Absolutely. like if you're already like a leftist or you're already organized like politically minded it may be good to read that theory to get those broad concepts to then contextualize but like if you're just reading that shit first of all it's confusing enough to where like or at least historically contextualized enough into an era that us reading now without a good historical basis for that knowledge if you're not a historian or something you may not get what we're talking about you may not get how some of these are rebuttals and you may come away with different understanding than the person who told you to read the fucking theory <laughs> right right like, <laughs> yeah, like we're, we're in sort of new territory now a lot of people aren't getting that like a lot of people i, I feel look at this theory like it's a manual exactly you know, like yep, absolutely like they got their flat pack manager from ikea and they got the manual out i'm like okay how do we build more <laughs> right it's only useful in that it's like it shows you a method for thinking right and it exactly gives you some maybe goals and aims and etc etc yeah. and but like experience from last it's, it's like it's it's so dumb like i was thinking the other day and just everybody is just taking bits and pieces of like 19th century uh um context like stuff and just putting it into how it is now and we're talking about fascism and communism like it's weimar germany or something i'm like what the fuck is wrong with you no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was this really good show on netflix and it was um set in like weimar germany and um it sort of really shows you how different it was like because there's there's like an episode where like this the main character is a policeman and they sort of get um stuck in basically a communist neighborhood during um the, the, during may day and, like it's just so like you, you you kind of realize what how different everything fucking was in this context like they're just paramilitaries everywhere like mm. like the working class or suburbs have like red flags in the windows there's like there's like no there's um there's elements of like a welfare state existing that the party has made and the party gets wins these districts every single time and they have their own like lawyer service they have their own healthcare service and we have nothing like that you know right nothing like that even it might it might like nepal or something or certain parts of india that's about it right right yeah and that's why real politics or, or just that whole approach is even more pressing now because capitals capitals want a lot they, they've they've got a lot more They've won a lot more concessions out of everybody in the last century. So, you know, they're winning more and more. So that's why it takes even more of, a, of, a, of an approach where you, you have to be even less idealist and even more like, all right, what can we really do right now? If we can't organize along labor, what can we organize along? What material things can we use our bodies? Like, what is there actually to be? What's, what's graspable? Nationalism, whatever the fuck, like. You know, it's it's yeah. even more demanding of that now because we're we're at the fucking like edge. I mean, not to sound like a like alarmist or whatever, like you know, it, wh- however you want to look at it, they're winning. So we we need we need more of that uh, approach than you know the idealist, literalist uh, interpretation that these people have. Definitely after like the defeat of like Bernie and Corbyn, I don't know when when that was happening. I was so sort of like, oh, maybe we can keep going with this sort of idea for a while. But after that, I just got fucked. I was like, nah, yeah, we got to think differently now we've got to like open up and just rethink like you know back to the drawing board yeah just absolutely think the whole everything that's what, that's what i've been trying to do slightly absolutely yeah